All right, so I have been assigned the topic of evangelism and essentially uh, the sufficiency of the word in saving the lost in evangelism. And, uh, you know, there, last night I was in a, in a group where the man took a time to say, I am not the model parent. <laughs> and I'll, I want to say the same thing. I am working diligently to grow in evangelism. But this is not a... This is not a place where I'm saying, hey, look what I've done. I want to try and bring the Word of God to bear on your, your lives and encourage you in this task that we all share. And there are ways where I've seen God uh, graciously work. But I believe that the, the, one of the biggest threats, which we'll get into this in the passage, is uh, to evangelism, is this pragmatic, like, well, what, what works for you? What, what trick, what secret sauce did you bring to the table? And then you, in a different place, with a different sandwich, try to slap the same secret sauce on, and it doesn't work. And we begin to be destabilized by that because we're really hoping that somebody will give us a four-step process to, you know, or the, the silver bullet kill shot with, with our, our gospel witness. And what we really, I believe, need is underlying convictions and a posture of awareness and dependence on the Spirit and use of the Word to be effective as evangelists. I really want to, in line with the conference, stay mostly in one passage of Scripture and try to just fan the flame of the fact that Paul believed the Word was sufficient Paul's commitment was a sufficiency in the word. And Paul is regarded, I would think, by all of you as a fairly successful evangelist and church planter, right? <laughs> he is one one that we would say, well, yeah, I would, wouldn't mind that kind of legacy and faithfulness and ministry. And he gives us a window into how he approaches his evangelistic and church planting ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, this is a a passage that uh, I think has to work into the fabric of your heart and then continually be like like the way you you know work on leather reworked in and soften that heart again and again to say the word is my mainstay and my confidence and my task is unbelievably simple and because because of exactly what Paul wrestled with the fact that uh, results and hardships and these things can tempt us to look elsewhere. Before we read the passage, I want you to do something for me. Would you take a moment and just mentally or physically write down the name of three unbelievers that you are close with? The way I would say it is your, your closest three unbelieving relationships. All right? Take a second to write those down. And... and uh, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a co-worker. Write down three real people. <coughs> I'm going to do it too right now, just give you time. Now, as you look at that list, I don't know what your list looks like. One is my father-in-law for me. One is uh, a man I coached with 
and now uh, is just a friend. And then another is a man that's a friend who I currently coach with. I coach soccer at the public school. and There's a number of other people that I could think of, but they come to mind. You probably have a coworker. You probably have a family member. Now think about this. What is, if you have those names, people you know, what's the biggest obstacle for you in evangelism? And while you think about that, let me just let let me just pull back a little bit and make sure that we have a clear definition of what evangelism is. If 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 you thought, well, they don't really want to come to church, that's a that's a, an obstacle, but that's not an obstacle to evangelism, just to be clear. Evangelism is not getting them to church. Evangelism is teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ with the aim of persuading someone. That, that uh, your relationship with them is not evangelism. My friendship with Mike is not evangelism. My proclamation of Jesus with the intent of him turning and following Jesus is evangelism, right? But him coming to a men's you know, steak dinner is a, is a supplement, a, an encouragement, a, uh, a jetpack kind of coming alongside and giving me a boost in, in evangelism. But, but the steak dinner... The events, they're not evangelism. They, they are trying to get us to points where individual members or corporately the church is saying, let me tell you who Jesus is, what he did, and what it means to follow him. And that he expects you to follow him. Right? That is the task of evangelism. So let me re-ask the question. What is the biggest obstacle in evangelizing those names you wrote? Yeah, what do you think? Getting the conversation started. Getting the conversation started. Okay, I'm going to write some of these down. Getting started. Okay? All right. Yeah, what, what else? Yeah. Paul talked about both the hindering of Satan and the opposition of wicked men. Okay, so, can, um, so spiritual opposition, right? And then I guess I could say just spiritual or any opposition. What else? Fear of man. Fear of man, okay? I don't want him to think I'm weird. Yeah, yeah, fear of man. And that's going to, I think that's going to come up in our passage pretty clearly. Fear of man, what else? It might be different, might be the same, but they know who we are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, there's, can I just put like a, a gap between the message? And, and us as a man <laughs> and like you're saying inconsistent they're going to be like what I know you yeah, you're trying to teach me right and and you're you know I, I've seen you with your kids I've seen you whatever we've been in the deer blind together and I you know maybe it's a guy you've grown up with then you really <laughs> if you've been young with him at all or stupid with him at all that's a huge obstacle with evangelism so basically anybody I know I'm really in the midst of a struggle to overcome my own stupidity. And that is, these, these are real. These are real. We're going to hope touch some of these. I'm going to come back to a couple about getting started because I think that is a very practical one that I want to address. But what I, what I want to focus on today, especially in line with the, the heartbeat of the conference, is that the Word of God is sufficient. The Word of God does the work of God, right? And specifically in this task 
of evangelism, we need an, a, a rock-ribbed confidence that I don't need a secret sauce. I don't need a special formula. I don't need a, a game plan that has been proven by you know X number of people with X number of conversions. I need a commitment to the Word of God and that the Word of God does the work. All right. If I could use a simple illustration, um, actually, I'm going to I'm going to wait on, on on unfolding some of that because I, I want us to read this passage before I get to preaching. That would be good, right? So <laughs> let's uh, let's read Second Corinthians chapter four, verses one through six. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses one through six. It says, "Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart." Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ, Jesus Christ, as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For what God, who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now, I, I am going to walk through this passage with you and make some evangelistic observations, so, some connections between the ministry of the word and its sufficiency in this task of saving sinners, of evangelism. But I, I want to make clear that I'm not trying to load this passage with tons of meaning as if this is only about evangelism. But I, I think it's a, a perfect point for us to be jumping off of and that if, the, if just the big idea of this passage comes away in your hearts, I think it will serve you for the rest of your ministry as well. Paul says, look at the beginning, therefore since we have this ministry. What's the ministry he's talking about? Well, if you look at chapter 3, 6, he says he has made us competent ministers. God has made us competent ministers of the new covenant. Right, not on the letter of the spirit, or not on the not on of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul's talking about the new covenant. We'll go back up a couple verses to seventeen. In the new covenant, he says, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, as those sent from God. So this is this new covenant. If we'd been reading in the context, we'd know it was something entrusted to him about Jesus from God. It's the message about Christ from God. And if you look at 3.3, 3, you, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human hearts. So what's the result? He's already mentioned in the context of his ministry proclaiming Christ from God. People who are alive from the dead. People who have been converted. I mean, essentially, Paul is defending the ministry of reconciliation, the Great Commission, that he is proclaiming the good news about Jesus, and people who are dead and ostracized, condemned, 
have been reconciled, made alive, reconciled, and, and now are children of the Father through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking with them about, proclaiming the good news. And, and the first thing I want to just, an observation, number one, about the sufficiency of the word and, and this task. Look what it says. It says, since through God's mercy we have this ministry. And I just wrote to myself that I wanted to make sure I mentioned to you that the word has, that God has given is sufficient for the ministry he has entrusted. Paul is defending a ministry. He's talking about his posture, and we're going to un un unfold how he approaches this ministry. But it's worth noting right out the outset that Paul says, I, I was entrusted this responsibility from God, this message from God. It is illogical, nonsensical to think that God would entrust this responsibility to his people and then give them a word unable to accomplish it. If, if the proclamation is the ministry. He says, you know, we, we, are in, we are proclaiming Christ, and it gives life, because Paul knows God entrusted this by his mercy to me, but he's also entrusted me what it takes to accomplish it. The first observation I just say from this passage is that the word God has given is sufficient for the ministry he has assigned, which already starts to shape us in a, in a, in a posture about evangelism, all right, that is ambassador not king. And this is going to come up later. We do not have revision privileges. We do not have... We speak on behalf of someone not as their surrogate, but as their representative. They told us what to say. He told us what to say. Right? And so we are entrusted with delivery, not with discernment about what is best to say. That is important for us to say. We'll talk about that in a minute. But look at the, the next thing in the passage. It says, we do not lose heart. Since we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Well, the, re the reality of the context in 2 Corinthians is that Paul has realized that the gospel ministry comes <coughs> more often with suffering than it does with success. You know, somebody says, how could you lose heart? Well, then you're not probably doing much gospel ministry. <laughs> okay? if, if, if it, or maybe God's just mercifully throwing fire on everything you do. But the reality is that most of us understand if you've been announcing Christ for any amount of time, and particularly in the window of evangelism, you don't find yourself covered with conversions. You find yourself deeply concerned for friend after friend who has decided not to to convert. That's what's going on when we find ourselves, anybody who's a faithful evangelist usually finds themselves with a long list of people. I was talking with some guys last night about um, now, now one of these people, but just this is the reality of gospel ministry. We were, we're church planting in a, in a neighborhood near Detroit and, and uh, there's a man, one, the first person we ever baptized he texted me yesterday, which was very exciting. You say, well, that's weird, right? Well, we, he's the first person we ever baptized and uh, the first person we disciplined out of the church uh, a couple years later. And uh, he, he for, I was so excited that he texted me, but I, as I was telling the story about something that happened in the church, I told the guys, I said, well, the guy that we, this guy in the story was disciplined out of the church. This guy has passed away, right? Like, there's another person in the story 
who's, who, who was upset and left the church. And, and probably anybody who's been in ministry has felt that reality. Now, there's tons of other exciting things to celebrate. But we can easily lose heart. And Paul talks about, look at, in fact, just look at chapter 1. Paul says, we do not, in verse 8, want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. I'm going to just stop there. You know, all the, all the Facebook posts and, and Bible covers and coffee mugs that say God won't take you farther than you're able. Right? They need this passage right here to say, well, maybe he will. Maybe he'll get you to think, is God killing me right now? Because that's what Paul was experiencing, hardships in every place. When you announce the fact that everyone everywhere needs to turn around, drop everything, and do whatever our Lord says, it's not going to fly for most people. That's the whole point of Psalm 2, right? The nation's raging against the authority of God's anointed. The greatest challenge for us, though, is not the resistance of others. Paul says, since we have this ministry... We do not lose heart. I think that uh, the second observation I just pulled from this passage, the greatest insufficiency is not the word. It's our weakness and frailty. What happens so often is we are tempted to leave the sufficient means that God has given us to accomplish this ministry in the face of the hardship and the resistance and the lack of results. Whether it's just I want to see more and we think about pragmatism or whether it's, it's I need escape You'll see it in this passage. Distort the word of God, hold pieces of it back, edit and revise in order to make it either better received or less hard to swallow. And that is not about the word. That's about us, right? That's about our confrontation of the reality and struggle of the the ministry that has been entrusted to us, remember, by mercy. This life is going to be short. I don't care how old you are. Moses, right? He had a pretty successful points in his ministry. He had some really rough points in the ministry. I mean, 40 years in a, a wandering desert with complaining people, right? I mean, how, how have the last 3,000 years been for Moses? They've been all right, right? I mean, he's fine. He's doing fine, right? This is a, it's, he has been doing just fine. And his, his ministry was... This is the, 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 the lens that we get caught in. That's why in Psalm 90, Moses himself says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may know the heart of wisdom. This, if we think this is it, yeah, we'll start to wobble and go, well, man, we've got to figure out how to see more people come to know the Lord here and now. And we've already started to give away the fact that our job was never conversion, it was communication. We've never been asked to play the role of Savior we are the messenger. So let's keep keep going through the because I, I think pragmatism and escape of uh, trying to look for results that that is where we start to see this. We lose heart. We we can't stay the course. We we lose our grip. I was uh, doing a workout with some guys. Then um, it was those farmer carries. We had those kettlebells. Just these you know seventy two pounds in each hand, and you had to walk a hundred yards. And and then the next guy would go, and you just kept alternating. 
Uh, and there were a couple points where there, there is a very simple task, right? But my forearms and my fingers were just burning. And I've got to set this thing down, right? I've got to do... That, that's, that's where we are. It's not like the task is super complex. We just... Perseverance, this is part of where we need God to help us in our weakness, not to lose course. And if I could just encourage you, uh, a passage to think on later, e- Ezekiel chapter 33. In fact, I'll read it for you. You can turn there if you want. It's, it's a place where when we think that, you know, we, we won't lose heart if it's very successful. I just want to remind you how hollow that is. This is a, a helpful passage someone pressed on me. <laughs> Ezekiel is told by the Lord, As for you, son of man, you, your people are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying to each other, Come hear the message that has come from the Lord. Now my people come to you, as they usually do, and sit before you to hear your words. Alright, sounds pretty exciting. Big group, people talking about the message after Sunday morning. There's like, hey, this is cool. But... They do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. Just remember that passage the next time you're tempted to think, why, next time you're tempted to measure by a crowd. The next time you're tempted to measure by the, the observable metrics of things are going well. Ezekiel had a big crowd at times with people talking about his sermon afterward. They were sharing it on YouTube. They were, you know, they were saying, have you seen this clip? But it was nothing more than the way that they share a clip of the cat that plays the piano or of their favorite musician, right? It was just entertainment and not transformation. That's an aside. But let's if we misunderstand our role and we start to think we are responsible for the results, we will start to try and contrive those results. That's why I was saying, remember Ezekiel's example. Contri- you know, just a big crowd, that's not the right thing. So how does Paul face the, the fact that he's given this ministry, but he want, he's tempted to lose heart in the face of suffering? He says, we don't lose heart. Instead of focusing on results... We, we, we double down on faithfulness to God's message. But he starts first by, look at, look at what he describes. And this is observation three I just want to talk about from this passage. Is that twisting the word, that addressing the word, manipulating the word, is actually the way to cripple the mission. Cripple evangelism. You, want to, you know what our heart wants to do is what he's about to list. Distort, be secret, maybe you know keep some things under wraps or figure out other ways for the word to be more palpable. And that's actually the, the, the completely wrong direction as we read the momentum of the passage because the word is the thing that can give life and create life. And we, as it says, that other people must be doing this. He's challenging it. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. This, this is our tension, and this is a common tension for the people in your church, frankly. You might face this, but the people in your church are facing not outright distortion. They would never probably admit or say, yeah, I want to distort God's word. But they are trying to figure out a way to tell the gospel without the hard ones. 
without the hard bits. It's a, a man I appreciate, Rico Tice. He uses you know the the hard bits because he's British. He that that is what everybody in your church longs for. If they would be honest, is a way to tell people about Jesus that doesn't make them feel like they have to hit their knees and turn away from everything else. A way that 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 they can call out to to a, a repentance a sinner to repent without the turnaround bit of repentance. <laughs> Right, with, with without the the condemnation for continuing in your rebellion. Right, this is the place where evangelism. I'm convinced this is one of the most relevant things that faces our churches. Is we have inflated the idea of winsome into this idea of palpable, and and the gospel tastes good to the unbeliever instead of thinking. Winsome is is never been about like revising the message. Okay, Paul says we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, and we do not distort the word of God. He's open and honest, and faithful. Open, honest, and faithful. There's no closed doors in our in our faith. And if I can encourage you as a, a pastor or a church a leader or just a member that that we we never have functioned like the Church of Scientology or the Church of, of wherever else, but there are times where we start to build that little bit of a culture where you don't talk about those topics with unbelievers. And, and I think that betrays some of the lack of confidence we have in God's spirit to use the word as it's laid open. Now, do you talk the same with an unbeliever as you do with a believer? No, there's wisdom in these things. But I don't think that we should have this um, you know, like in, in a in a in Scientology or some kind of other secret thing, there's a starter kit piece of information. Well, let me just tell them about the gospel. I don't want them. I, I don't want them to find out all the other weird stuff. That I, I don't want them to know that I want to ruin their Sunday morning for the rest of their life. That they should be in church. Well, that's not true. First of all, right? But then the idea is. That, that this is that's a completely wrong-headed. The confidence is based totally in somewhere else. The gospel is not something that you can get them to swallow anyway. Like a like a like when I give my kids medicine, you know, as long as it tastes like like a purple piece of gum, well then they'll drink it down and it'll have its effect. That's not going to work with the gospel, right? It's a, it's about the heart believing and the mouth confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we can't use deception. You can't hold out one thing and another, and this is probably preaching to the choir in this room, but this is where the prosperity gospel is a, a rank attack on the true gospel because what is held out is something fundamentally different than what Christ has promised. It's a mutation of what he's promised because actually Jesus is going to deliver on better gifts, greater joy, a more perfect world than the prosperity gospel even sells you, right? They're, they're selling a green pasture in the midst of Moses' wilderness. Moses doesn't want to go back to that place, right? That's, he's thinking, man, I don't, I don't want to spend my time on this place where moth and rust corrupts. But the pr prosperity gospel has held out this thing that is a deception, a distortion. But do you know that, that I think uh, I think we at times can start to hold out things like that, like the benefits of the gospel, a faithful, orthodox, evangelical, gospel-centered people 
could still make like the the love of the church this dangling benefit to a lonely person. You know, like like look, there's a group of people that actually care about you and they are lonely. Right? That, now is that a good thing? To have people that care about you? Yes. Right? But do you see how we can start to even start to feel like a little bit of the same thing where, you know, Joel Osteen talks to somebody up to their eyeballs in debt and talks about stamp down and running over. He scratches where they're itching. And we go, well, we would never just hold out material blessings, but let me let me leverage the way, you know, the churches, the church families, their lives are in order. And and there's these beautiful little families, and your family is jacked up by the, the contours of sin. And, and we don't say, let me lay out a more healthy life plan. But we've got some times where almost diet prosperity gospel can sneak in. And we have to be aware that we do not need and we must not start to alter, definitely not distort the word of God so that uh, we don't talk of judgment. We don't talk of repentance. We don't talk of conversion, right? Conversion therapy is a big deal now. So that word is becoming electric, even though conversion therapy, just for the record, is something different, right? If you're not familiar with that. But that this is this is what we're looking for, conversion. We're looking for you to turn around, drop everything you used to believe and the loyalties you used to have and give them to our Lord. Not to me, but to our Lord. But so often, maybe maybe you guys have done this. You probably have an iPad or a, a cell phone with uh, some kind of social media that has a filter, right? And you see my kids love to play with the filters on those things, and I'm always trying to make sure they're off the screen time or whatever. But they love when, you know, their face pops up and there's a dog nose and there's dog ears and they just giggle or because it turns them into a, a giant pickle or whatever. You know, like, it's just a, a weird filter. But you know what's funny is you've probably seen this. There are some ladies and some men probably too who will never post a post on social media who don't have a filter on. Right? They, they won't let you see the real them. Or, you know, maybe the lady that you'll, you would, would never be caught dead in makeup. That's the kind of heart we can cultivate in our churches, and we have to fight and kill. Is this, well, you can't just, you can't send the gospel out there without makeup on. I mean, you can't lay out the truths of what Jesus Christ did and what it says about your sin without a filter. I mean, unbelievers are not going to be able to handle that. Sure, your husband can see you without makeup, but you can't walk out. But your gospel can't go out there with without makeup on, people aren't going to be able to take that. And it, it betrays where our true confidence can lie. Paul says instead, because I don't want to stay here the whole time, what's he say his plan is? By setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Notice first this observation, the open word is his plan. By setting forth the truth plainly, he is literally, the, he just sets the table. Hey, let me open a Bible. So Paul didn't have coffee shops but I honestly think that he would feel comfortable with us saying, oh, so, so this, this is my evangelism plan. I set the Bible between us <laughs> on the table plainly in the sight of everyone. Now, maybe that's through proclamation. You understand that. I'm not saying you only have to just open the Bible and read it. But the point is, Paul is not trying to do filters. He's not trying to do makeup. He is just saying, hey, here is, here is God's word. 
What do you think about that passage? Could you read that to me? And it is, it's his plan, but also here's the, here's the thing. What's a beautiful confidence is that the word is never responded to that interaction at Starbucks, okay? The word is open. On Thursday mornings, I get, I get together with a guy right now. We're doing this. And and 7 a.m. Thursday mornings, we're talking about things, and and I'll open God's word, I'll put it out, and I'll say, read that passage to me, and we'll, we'll talk about it. And... Um, the nice thing is, Brian and I are not alone. Not just because other people are in Starbucks. But the passage, you know what it says? Here's a boost in confidence that the word is sufficient in evangelism. God is watching them respond, them look into his word. He's looking at them while they're looking into his word. You see how it says that? It says that they, to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. The, the, the responsibility that made us so frustrated with results... Right, We were thinking, well, how do I get these results? We don't have to worry about, God, I promise. that I tried my best to tell them what the gospel was, and they just didn't get it. Like we have to report later that, about a scene that God was unaware of. Actually, God is sitting there watching us lay out his message and say, and he knows exactly why they're responding and how they're responding. That's really confidence building, right? I mean, he knows we don't have to be wrecked and, and, and rocked by the lack of results or the, the response of the, the sinner to the word of God, we actually are doing this in sight of God, which speaks something to, right, the constant posture of the believer is not fear of condemnation, but the fear of the Lord. I tell people in our church this, that, that God is the loudest voice in every conversation and he's the largest person in every room. If I'm alone at Starbucks with Brian and it's just us, there's a way that I am feeling pressure to communicate. But if God himself sits down next to me at Starbucks and I have his word in my hands, all of a sudden I start to be very clear. <laughs> like, yeah, this is what it says, right? Because all of a sudden the fear of the Lord has given me strength to go, yeah, I don't want to tweak his words with him watching in. But this is what evangelism is. You're setting forth his message plainly on the table. And you know that he sees the whole conversation and the hearts and the responses. What a gift of confidence to know that, that, that responses are not, that they're not private. They're in the sight of God. Which is a sobering thing too, by the way. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning to people as they listen. You say, you know, this is, God is, is, is calling you to respond to his word. And he's watching you respond to his word. This is important, the things you think about his word, Right? So let's let's keep going. The question still lingers. You're going, um, you know, that, that doesn't mean that it still has fruit the way I want it to have fruit. I mean, I wrestle with this all the time. We're in the middle of church planting, and I hope every pastor and every Christian feels like, ah, why aren't more people getting saved? But that that's something that is a constant burden on my heart, praying for people to be converted. I want baptisms to be the hallmark of our church. It, it isn't as common as I ever hoped I know why Paul says, you know, that people are pressured to distort and discern. Because, because I, I want more people to get baptized. I want more people to turn from darkness to light, to find the joy I have in the Savior. What gives? Well, here's another observation that, that should help us stay committed to the Word. 
The word has never been at fault for unbelief. They make responses in the sight of God. The word has never been at fault for unbelief. And even if our gospel is veiled, it says, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Let me say it this way. It's never been darkness. It's been blindness. You realize that? It's not that the light of God is, is, is the bulb is out. It is the eyes of the person that are blinded. And you and I can so often be like, what's wrong with that bulb? You know, what, what, why is this person getting saved? And we start to think about the message and about the way. And, and the truth is that it's never been darkness. It's always been blindness. God's light is sufficient. The word of God is sufficient for the task. And as Daniel mentioned, there's real spiritual opposition. There's real spiritual blindness and there's opposition to the word. And so if we start to think, wait, these aren't the results I hoped, and we go back and we say, do I need to change the bulb on this? We have addressed the wrong, <laughs> the wrong thing. The light is shining. But a blind person can't see no matter how bright the light shines. That should change the way we approach evangelism. Let's keep reading. It says, all right, it says that in, in, in the rest of the passage, that, that, that the gospel displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The, the word of God makes clear who he is and what he, what he has done to save sinners. And we don't need to become an obstacle to the word. The glory of God is shining in the image of the, in Christ, right? So look at what he says. For what we preach, verse 5, is not ourselves, but Christ as Lord. This is a really tough one for people. For me, is... Okay, relational evangelism is a good thing, right? <coughs> uh, by the way, I'm using relational evangelism... Even though I already said evangelism is this announcement of the gospel. You know what I mean by relational evangelism? The people who are there saying, hey, cultivate friendships with unbelievers, reach the people you know, care about that, right? People talk about, at times they'll talk about personal evangelism as a larger category, and then they seem to say relational evangelism is this, you know, you develop long-term relationships where you're talking about the gospel. I, I get the category, I understand it. I would really prefer if it was relationships that are headed towards evangelism or relationships that are for the purpose of evangelism. There's not really a relational evangelism. Yes, First Peter talks about the fact that our lives, you live such good lives among the pagans, that though they resist you and attack you and hate you, eventually it seems like God buttresses your proclamation with your testimony and they glorify God on the day he visits us. But you cannot speak the gospel use words if necessary, right? There is only words in this announcement. There is no way, like if I said, you know, let's, uh, Tim Keller uses this illustration of like, what if I was going to live in a way that helped you realize that George Washington crossed the Potomac? Like, what would that look like? <laughs> right, like, it's not, it, it, it's, it's a real event that has impact on my life now, Right? But, but the news is that I tell you what happened. And the gospel is Jesus Christ 
lived perfectly the way we couldn't. He died sacrificially in our place. He rose victoriously as our hope. He is coming again. He, he calls all people to two things, largely, to turn from sin and trust in him. Turn from sin, trust in him. And he holds out two things. Forgiveness for sin and the power of the Spirit to follow him. Right? Turn around, away from sin, and follow me. I will forgive your sin, and I'll give you the Spirit to follow me. That's what, that's what he has done after he has accomplished the, the, the work necessary to make that offering by living perfectly, dying sacrificially, raising victoriously. And he's coming again to hold accountable everyone to their response to that offering. Right? There is no way for you to live what I just said. If, if that makes sense. Like, like if I didn't say anything, somebody could put those pieces together because Jesus lived the message that we're proclaiming. He is the central message. We are announcing his work, right? We are not preaching ourselves. And, and this is part of the place where uh, I think the best word is humility. We are servants so often in relational evangelism or in church ministry. Let's just be honest. People want to talk to the pastor. People want to talk to the the, 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 the Bible study leader. They want to get to know, and we like when people want to know us and care about us, and we try to do more of a win friends and influence people than we do a, you know, I want you to be thinking of, like, the servant that comes into the king and is literally just, they, they have the, the, the scroll in their hand and they, they bow and pass it on, right? That is all, you're that guy, that's all. Right? You're the guy. You didn't, you didn't look up. You didn't smile. You didn't say, hey, come on with me. You just, here you go. It's not about me. I just want to tell you, Jesus is Lord. Right? And, and that is a humongous change for, I think, um, I think there's a number of church members, you're probably facing this in your own heart at times, who feel like evangelism at some point is a, is a, an act of pride. That's the way the world makes it out. Right? Evangelism is an act of pride. What you're saying is you're making a definitive truth claim about the way you've decided to live in the world, and you're trying to tell me to live your way. People, you know, unbelievers look at you and say, like, oh, you think you're so good? You think you've got it figured out? And everybody in our churches is dealing with that fear, in our cultural context at least. Where they're going, well, no, I don't want to be come up high and mighty. I don't want to be understood as a holy roller. I don't want somebody to be thinking I'm trying to say, live like me. But this is, this is what we have to fight and say, no, no, no. Nobody will think that the, this guy is saying, live like me. Right? Nobody thinks that. If the posture is, I want you to know about Jesus. I want you to follow Jesus. Let me open the Bible and tell you about Jesus. If there's more inertia or more energy given to opening God's word, clearly explaining it, to communicating the truth, than there is to making somebody feel like they could talk to you about anything. Or you know what I mean? <laughs> like like the, the friendship is great. I, I, those guys I mentioned are my friends. But there's a there's a crucial point. I'll think I think of one. Juan is a, a man that I, I just won't say his whole name, but he he was a he is a friend. He came over every Thursday afternoon with his kids. We met at Starbucks. 
and he would come over because I noticed that him and his kids were at Starbucks while I was finishing my work day. And I, so I'm a church planner, so I often just use the, the coffee shop as a place to meet people and whatever. And he would come in on Thursday afternoon, his kids would play, and I, we started talking. And I realized they were just waiting there until karate started. I said, well, why don't we just start having coffee at my house? And your kids can play with my kids. And, you know, we're both going to be here this time. And so he came over for months. Hang out, me and my wife. We'd have all kinds of great conversations. Sharp guy. And there came this moment where we were sitting at the table. He had brought all these Mexican desserts. I brought the coffee as my house, right? And we're sitting there and we're having a great time. And we began to talk about in a very deliberate way how he was raising his kids and though he's Hispanic so he had a Catholic background uh, he didn't he was raising them with like kind of you know find your own way on this I don't want to I don't want to push on them any specific religion religious conclusions right and I said well do you think this is an important part of who they are and what they believe and he said yeah and I said so you you think this is Important, but you're gonna you're gonna leave it up to chance. You're not gonna like you you care about what they eat, so you make choices for them. You care about X, Y, and Z in their life, and so you protect them from certain things. And now you're gonna let free range, like just find your own way on this. And and the conversation led to the basically the exclusivity of the gospel, where I was saying no, there is only one. Because then he said, well, you know, I don't know which is better. And I said, but do you believe some are better than others? Oh, yeah, okay, some are better than others. I said, okay, well then, well then I believe that too. I believe actually one is better than all others. Let's, let's talk about it. So we start talking, and I remember this moment where I could see, I thought, I don't think he's ever going to come back. And to, to date, though we text and we keep up, they've never come back over. And that was a, so it was a faith moment. And I'm not saying, like, look at me. I'm saying I was sitting there going, Oh, if I say this next sentence, and it was winsome, it was a friendly conversation, it was like there was no fist fight where we threw him out the door. You ugly unbeliever, right? It was just it was just a conversation where it was unavoidably clear that I was saying, No, Jesus calls you to drop everything. And and I remember thinking, Oh man, I think this is coming to an end, isn't it? Even though we still invite him over. And if we give in to the pressures in our heart because I was dealing with fear at that moment. And I was dealing with, well, don't I need, if he's at my table more often, aren't there better chances? And the truth is that he can come back to my table, but he will never trust in Jesus if the gospel is not presented to him. <laughs> right? And I needed to make sure that it was clear to him. So let's keep going. We must not become an obstacle to the word. That was a moment where my fear... My friendship with him, winning him to me, could have rivaled. And at times, I've been quiet because of the social pressure, acceptance, whatever. So let me just make sure that I don't make it sound like, look at this guy. There are times where I've, I've faced that fear, and I've said, well, I'll find another time. Frankly, that's the biggest fear I have, or hardest thing with my father-in-law, is I have to have that relationship, right? Juan doesn't come over for coffee, and our life goes on. And everybody that has unbelieving relatives, all my wife's family's unbelievers, except for her mom, those, that's the hardest thing everybody's facing. Is they're going, well, if I press the exclusivity of the gospel in any clear way, even if it's the winsomest, smiliest, huggiest thing, I still have to go to Christmas. 
I still have to go to, to Thanksgiving. I still have to, you know, and they're facing that right there. And, oh, man, that's, that's my biggest fear. So just help people think, okay, their, their response is not my responsibility. The Word is able to actually change their heart. It's not that you're just taking this chance to whip yourself by saying it clearly and you know they're not going to respond. Actually, the Word is powerful. In fact, that's where we're going to go next. The message, by the way, I want to say observation. The message, Jesus is Lord, right? That's a summary of what the Word is teaching us. So if you want to know the Word is sufficient for evangelism, Paul says, we preach Jesus is Lord. Now, certainly that's not the sum total, right? Because other places he said, I knew nothing but the cross, right? He, he's summarizing, though. The message that the Bible is where you find the message. That should be the most obvious one. <laughs> All right? Let's, let's look at the last couple things here. This is where I love, this should be the final resounding encouragement. In verse 6, the word that created all things and created new life in us is sufficient to create life in our friends. Verse 6, for God who said, let the light shine out of darkness. What's he referring to? Genesis chapter 1, literally what created everything in the world and everywhere else? The word of God, <laughs> right? So the thing you hold in the task of evangelism, it can feel like this. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if this can get it done in my friend's life. And you're like, well, the word of God created your friend, created everything else in the universe. You don't know if the word could create new life in your friend that was created by the word. Right? <laughs> like... Like, the, he says, let light shine out of darkness. God created the world by his powerful word. And haven't we experienced this? He's saying, look, the, the light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. None of us were won by somebody being winsome. None of us. We were Ephesians chapter 1. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel, the Holy Spirit made you alive, right? No, nobody in this room was saved because somebody else had a great relationship with them. Now, I, I get, you know what? Most people are saved through the ministry of the gospel by someone they know. You realize that? That's, it's not evangelistic events. It's parenting. It's their neighbor. It's their co-worker. So I'm not saying that relationships don't matter, but my point is, where did... Nobody in, the, in all of those relationships has the ability to raise the dead. But the Word did in our lives. And so why do we face the fear then when we go, wait, everything I see exists by the Word of God. I right now am a new creation. Creation and new creation. I've seen the power of the Word of God to do those things. Why do I feel like I need to go elsewhere? I need to open the Word. The word is sufficient for this task. That is what we need to always embrace. Remember, I think I'm going over time, right? So we need to get done? Yeah, we got one minute. Okay, nice, one minute. So that is a crucial thing for us to remember. The word does the work. It is able to create new life in anyone we see. We've seen it create all life, and we've seen it create life in us. That is a good hope because we have a simple plan in evangelism. We preach Christ and God shines the light. We preach Christ, God shines the light. Or we could say also that, that we communicate the word and God converts with the word. The, this is, 
getting started, I would love to, you know, some of the time talk about how practical tips are for getting started. But you know what's interesting? This is where relationship and all these things start to come together, okay? There's no secret way to communicate the gospel where you're like, I have to go for Romans Road, start to finish, or our crew taught me this, start to finish, four truths, or I have to do whatever. You know what's great about a relational evangelism is when Mike and I work out, he says, you know, this came up in my life, and I have the opportunity to talk about the Word of God and how it's shaping me, how it's changed the way I see the world, and since the Word of God all connects to the work of Jesus Christ, I have an inroad, right? Like literally every choice you make is supposed to be shaped by the Word of God. So every choice you make in your lives around people, they're talk, you're talking about education. Well, there, there is a plan, t- chance for the believer to tell the unbeliever what you think about the Word of God and how it should flesh out in the world. And if you're raising the Word of God, you have a clear path to the Lord Jesus Christ and His work. Now, sometimes you don't get there all the way explicitly, but you're starting to shape the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. My buddy Mike knows that every decision I'm making, I'm tying it back to Bible verses or else I'm making bad decisions. That I'm trying to think, okay, the Word of God is shaping us. So we can talk through all that stuff, but what we need first, what everyone needs first is this, a commitment to the simplicity and sufficiency of the task. Or uh, simplicity of the task, sufficiency of the Word. My job is an open Bible. Communicated clearly to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And if you feel that freedom because the results aren't your problem, they aren't yours, that there is someone else in the room watching the whole conversation and response in the heart who ultimately is able to create new life, you have an unbelievable confidence to just speak freely and set the truth forth plainly, as Paul says. All right, let's pray. Father, Please give us grace to be this way. I know that these men are probably uh, tremendous examples of this already, and I pray that you would speed them along by your Spirit to great fruitfulness. Lord, You know the, the fact that Paul was tempted to lose heart at times, and so were others by the results, it would be wonderful if you would... In, in, in would, would aid us in our weakness by giving us a, a time of, of revival in our area where we saw great amounts of conversion and saw many people, I said, across our nation and our world, send an awakening, uh, even if it, it's for your glory and also if it just helps us in our weakness to continue to b- declare the gospel. But should you wait for another generation to send that great awakening or should you just continue to work in that small mustard seed way would you help us to be faithful and not to lose heart but to to double down on a commitment to the word it's in christ's name we pray amen Amen. Amen. all right thank you for your time gentlemen